joining us, our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a wonderful day. And uh, I want to uh, say happy trails as well to Gully. And I hope I'm not telling anything, uh, any secrets here, but a lot of you that know him know that he's always wanted to uh, go on the rodeo circuit. And now he's uh, going to be able to do steer wrestling and bull riding full time, and I think that's just wonderful when people are able to do that. And, well, now that's amazing because so, I always thought he wanted to go golfing. So you do, you are kind of telling secrets. I am, yeah. And uh, he golfs, you know, just to uh, try to stay in shape for being on the rodeo. It's uh, it's a grueling thing and uh, getting tossed around. It's it's hard. So. I have to, my wife just showed me a photo. Joel Eastfold sent me a, a fishing spider photo that he had taken. And uh, these are the largest spiders that we have here by far. And they will go all around four inches, probably. Females are bigger than the males. But if you just think of putting one in the palm of your hand, and it pretty much covers the palm of your hand. And I just had to throw that out because I, I just think they are some of the coolest things. I just love seeing fishing spiders. And as you might um, derive from the name, they do fish. They go into water and they catch small fish and tadpoles. But they creep people out, I would say it would be a, a general statement. Uh, they either just intrigue people or people are just freaked out by seeing them because they're so big. And a friend from Hollandale called and had one that had a fish, a small fish, and was eating it. And she had to call right away because she said, I saw it. Did it catch it in a web or something? Well, they, they don't make a spider web, but they're out there hunting. But fishing spiders, they're just really, really neat. I had, I had a turkey stop right in the middle of the road the other day, a gravel road. And it just stood there and it appeared <laughs> to motion that my car should go around. So I went around, uh, and I went around carefully because I just heard from a friend who told me, a friend that works for the Albert Lee Tribune, who told me that a collision with a raccoon had resulted in $5,600 damage Whoa. to her car. Yikes. So, uh, yeah, we see these little animals going across the road, and we think, well, you know, it's... And you're better off not swerving and going in the ditch, of course, but um, be aware that they can do a lot of damage if you do hit them. I watched a groundhog kit in my yard, a young groundhog. The, the groundhog kit and a cottontail rabbit were eating dandelions on our lawn and just enjoying the dandelions. It was a beautiful day, and the whole world was happy and at peace. And the rabbit was much larger than the young woodchuck, but suddenly the baby groundhog raised up on his rear legs like a miniature grizzly and looked menacingly at the bunny. Well, the rabbit just ignored it, you know, this baby groundhog. And then the groundhog charged the rabbit, and the last I saw the two was when they were headed around a pass between shrubs and trees. So... I don't know if the rabbit said something or if the groundhog had asked a question and the rabbit ignored him. You just think, well, they're eating dandelions. And I suppose the groundhog just was worried, perhaps, that the rabbit was eating 
some of the prime dandelion leaves. Uh, I, I don't know what else could uh, could do it. Okay, my question, well, Al, is, is how yeah. do you get the them to eat your dandelions and not your uh, hostas, your garden plants, etc.? Yeah. Because mine seem to ignore the dandelions and go toward the good stuff. They do, and they also will go out into some farm fields and eat some of the crops on occasion as wow. well. They... In our yard, we find that they love white clover as well, Dutch clover, mm. so they will eat a lot of that. And it looked like one day, and I didn't get a picture or anything, or didn't look at through binoculars, so I can't be sure, but it looked like they were eating plantain, the big leaves. So they will eat a few different things. I don't know how you keep them away from your other stuff. It's like keeping rabbits away. They... Uh, it's like kids, you tell them don't go near that, well then they're going to go near that, I guess, so it, it's you just can't keep them away from things. While I was watching those guys, I listened to a trio of marathon singers. There was uh, the gray catbird, a red-eyed vireo, and an indigo bunting. We're all just uh, singing and singing and singing. They may be repetitive, but I never grow weary of hearing them. Uh, but I remember as a kid hearing whippoorwills. And these guys are no whippoorwills. Uh, whippoorwills are nocturnal birds with loud, distinctive voices that can be heard singing long into the night in parts of Minnesota. It's not uncommon for a whip to chant its name uh, 100 times without break. I uh, read something somewhere that one fellow had counted a whippoorwill singing, and it sang over 1,800 times without a break. Just kept singing whippoorwill. So it's really neat if you get to hear one. It's just one of those. It's in Minnesota. It's sort of like, oh, hearing a loon without the lake, I guess. A fella called me and said, you don't need to use my name. So I'm guessing he's uh, probably on the lamb from the law. <laughs> but uh, he, he told me that in his retirement, he spends more time with his small dog. He has a little pseudo auxiliary dog. And he and the dog spend 15 minutes each morning staring out the window and the dog points things out with Aww. its eyes and i thought that was so neat and he said they particularly enjoy watching the crows because he said alice you say on the radio crows are always up to something and they are and i just think that's so neat i can picture them in my mind's eye fell in this tiny little dog looking out the window and boy that's right anybody's ever taken a dog for a walk they notice things. And cats, too. If my wife drops an earring, you know, some of those small <laughs> earrings, yes. they fall on the floor and they always roll under something. You think, oh, where in the world did that go? So the easiest way is just to bring the cat in, and the cat will find it. They say, here's something new, and they'll pull it out, and then they play cat hockey with it. But at least they find it. I watched American white pelicans fly overhead. I was on the pelican breeze. And uh, I, I want to thank everybody for coming out. We had a full boat, and it was great fun on Sunday. But the pelicans they have a nine-foot wingspan that carries them unusually long distances to forage for food. So fishing trips of 30 miles one way, but that's not uncommon. And a man from Clearwater, Minnesota, and I did not get his name, and that's um, my bad there, told me that he'd been vacationing in San Diego this winter. He didn't think he could ever get tired of the nice weather there. 
and he was enjoying an adult beverage at a table outside a, uh, a bar when a brown pelican flew over and made a deposit directly into the man's <laughs> glass. So it's uh, you, you have to be careful out there. It's a jungle. I am seeing a lot of Canada anemone, one of my favorites. It's a North American native perennial that grows in moist meadows along wet wood edges and road ditches and along stream banks. It has beautiful white flowers. I think they're just striking against the green grass. They have showy yellow center stamens on long stalked branches. June. June brings summer and it's our wettest month of the year. We got nearly three inches of rain here. We got two inches in one shot, then five, uh, half an inch, and then four tenths. So almost three inches on Sunday and Monday. So it, it certainly is uh, is probably going to be our wettest month. It's, it still has a challenge there. But summer, how do you tell when it's summer? It's when the flowers are coaxed out of the woods to bloom in the open. If you think about spring, so many of our flowers are blooming in the woods. When summer comes, it's just like school's out and they run from the woods and we see they're different flowers, of course, but they're blooming out in the open. And June is typically when I first see flashing fireflies. I've been seeing them for, oh, I don't know, a week and a half, maybe something like that here. Some years I see them in May. But from the middle of June through July is when I see them most often. A lot of adult dragonflies on wing, they become numerous after emerging from their larval stages in the water. And I'm noticing small masses of sticky, frothy bubbles at leaf nodes of plants. And it, yeah, it looks like somebody spit on the plant. This white foam blobs are produced by the nymphs of spittlebugs, which are small insects getting their name from the globs of foamy spit they create along the stems of plants. The foam serves a number of purposes. It protects the nymph from predators as well as providing the tender nymph with insulation from temperature extremes and humidity. A Mary Hodak, good to hear from you, Mary. Mary said, large flock of black terns in Mason City also spotted a pair of bobolinks in a field south of Mallard Marsh. Tim Scott sent, and he sent this to me a while ago, and I missed it. Oh, I didn't miss it. I just forgot to talk about it. Sent me a uh, newspaper article that showed a huge blob that appeared on the National Weather Service's radar. And it wasn't a rain cloud. But it was a massive swarm of ladybugs over South California, Southern California. Meteorologist Joe Dandria said the array of bugs appeared to be about 80 miles wide as it flew over San Diego. I hope they weren't uh, multicolored Asian lady beetles. I hope they were a regular, one of our regular guys. But Kelly uh, uh, Wassenberg was the one who I mentioned it earlier, is the one who driving a rental car now because she had a raccoon and she said uh, who knew those things were that solid yeah they are uh, they're big creatures Denny Tustison of Albert Lee said I've seen no young pheasants bad winter wet spring bad for pheasants yeah and that's a, a thing we seem to be saying uh, every year Denny so I'm doing a breeding bird survey now and I'm hoping I, I'm, I'll hear 
roosters crowing, but it's always kind of, uh, it's pretty exciting when I see some uh, pheasant chicks now. Uh, Doug Keezer said at least two common gallinules present on the north side of Sand Lake, south of Winthrop in Sibley County. Fawn. You know, I don't know if I've ever known a fawn. I've read about fawns, uh, people named fawn, but I don't know. So it's great to hear from someone named fawn. <laughs> fawn said while doing nest checks today at our Purple Martin colony, many newly hatched babies had gnat bites, and one nest was particularly bad with one dead baby, and the remaining three were pale, weak, and with bite marks all over. I doubt those nestlings will survive. At my home, my week-old bluebirds had gnats all around them and bites also evident. With all the frequent rains, it's been very hard to keep repellent around the entrances and vent holes, but if you can do it, you will surely save some tiny lives as these gnats are literally draining these naked babies dead. Hmm. Not sure if the gnats are this bad statewide as they are here, but be watchful if you do have nest cavities on your property. And apply something like vanilla to the housing to repel gnats if you are able. Well, thank you, Vaughn. That was nice of you. Uh, Ryan Shackleton said, I spotted an osprey circling over the West High V parking lot in Mason City. People see a lot when they're at High V parking <laughs> lots. I, I don't know why that is, but said, might be worth watching water in the area. And that is really cool. A friend of mine, Pat Schlarbaum, was with uh, the DNR. He retired here oh, probably a couple years ago now, and they released ospreys in uh, in the Mesa. Well, they it'd be actually on Clear Lake down that area is where they released them. So I I hope that's one. Uh, Sandy Kapeshka of Fairmont sent me some photos of bluebirds. She said the wrens and chickadees have uh, left the boxes now, and the bluebirds are back. Two houses 25 feet apart, and bluebirds in each. Together, they should be able to protect those houses. We'll be watching. Cheryl Intahar of Albert Lee said, I have a hole in my yard. What could be making it? Well, I, I ran through the litany with Cheryl. I said, you know, the raccoons and skunks will roll up the sod looking for uh, grubs, even like ch Japanese beetle grubs. Or if it's a, uh, a small hole just dug down, squirrels will make a small hole looking for buried treasure. And I went on and on, and I said, uh, you know, she said, well, the neighbors think it's moles. I said, well, usually moles have a, a tunnel. Sometimes there would be a little hole in there, but they make tunnels. And she said, well, this one has a lot of dirt around it, so it sounds like maybe it's a pocket gopher mound, mm, okay. and uh, they will have a hole, but there's a lot of dirt and the good part, Cheryl, is if you have a potted plant or something, it makes great uh, great dirt for that great soil. Rick Mammel of Albert Lee said, I've been listening to the house wrens. Its song is so beautiful. I've been looking hard for any sign of having wood ducks on the property, hopefully nesting. A hen Woody landed on a large limb only a few feet away from her home a few weeks ago. They are such beautiful birds, and their young take that leap for life as soon to be adults' world. I cannot find anything more fun and wonderful to witness. Our T-14 Purple Martin apartment unit had a hawk on its perch overhead about 10 days ago. I spoke with one of the Troyers in Pennsylvania the following morning. They are the folks that manufacture the T-14. 
The T-14 is a wooden apartment house for Purple Martins. And they also produce the G-16, which are plastic gourd apartment houses. Rick says they are such wonderful people to visit. On his recommendation, I ordered two decoys, and these are Purple Martin decoys, that are to be mounted on top of the T-14. In theory, the hawk will grow discouraged with striking the decoys and move on and let the Martins live to fly to Brazil. Michael... Diggerstrom saw a red-breasted nuthatch in uh, Rochester. Kimberly Emerson saw a Henslow Sparrow in Blue Earth County. And Peter Nichols saw a common loon in Sibley County. So that's pretty cool to see a lunar out here. And Karen, you mentioned you have a few birds at your feeders. Well, not at the feeders necessarily. At well, at the at the lake house, I've got problems. I don't. They don't come to my feeders anymore. That's why. Isn't that the note I sent you? It is indeed. Yeah. So I, it, I I'm out working in the at around the lake house, and the, the wonderful thing is, there's you know surrounded by trees and lakes, so there's always lots of birds. And I was working in the hosta bed, and all of a sudden I hear this chitter 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 chitter, just this just cacophony of chittering at me and I was like what in the world well turns out in the two bluebird houses they're oh probably 50 feet away from each other and each one has been inhabited by little wrens and they are the noisiest little things and if you get anywhere near there they are just adamant that you should be I don't know if they're yelling at me or or what but it's funny because then they start yelling at me with the chittering and then all of a sudden the babies get riled up and they're chittering inside. So I know they're there. So anyway, I just it's just kind of funny. But I put bird seed out um, and nobody's coming to the bird feeder like they did in the winter. So I thought, well, does that mean there's just enough food everywhere else that they don't care about the sunflower seeds I, I leave there? Because uh, normally in the winter I'd put it out and it'd be gone within a couple of days. But now it's just been sitting there. And I, you know, I give everybody the whole litany. Well, your food's got to be fresh. I well, know it, yours could, is, it might not be fresh because it's been there oh, all winter. Okay. <laughs> it's been sitting in the house all yeah, winter. Yeah, because that'll keep them away. Oh. And, of course, a cat or an exhibit or a hawk can keep birds away, but not for, not for long stretches. It'd be for short uh, periods of time. But typically what happens this time of year is once the eggs have hatched mm-hmm. and the parents of many species that will come to our feeders, all of a sudden they're not coming to the feeders anymore because they need to go to, they need to move to a high-protein diet of insects Ah. and other small invertebrates to feed their nestlings. So this change in diet eliminates many feeder visits. And house wrens, they're they're just noisy little buggers. But they're cute. They might have 10. They're they're very cute. Oh, they're, yeah, and... (laughs) You know, uh, the babies yell for food. Uh, I'm sure the parents are yelling at one another to get more food. Sometimes a male will have two nests. So in uh, uh, in a crazy world, I suppose he could have ten babies because usually they lay uh, maybe three to ten eggs. Wow. So he could have ten babies in two nests. My mom had them on her clothesline, and one male wren had a box on one end of the clothesline and a box on the other end so he had to feed both of them so he could just, these two the, birdhouses that i have al that that are about 50 maybe they're 50 feet or more apart could they be the same like father and different mothers is that what you're saying 
Yeah, it's very possible. Huh. And he's a bit of a philanderer, but he's a good dad, and he just works himself to death. You know, has a, he takes a second job, and he just does everything. Maybe sells Amway on the side. He's doing everything he can. And I watch him here, and they come in with a lot of canker worms, and that's why a lot of gardeners like house wrens because they they go through a lot of canker worms. But I'm watching this guy. He's bringing in a lot of moths, uh, little brown guys and little tan fellows that he's catching somewhere. And I watch him. He flies in, and he has to perch before he goes into the, the nest. And then he sings with this food in his mouth. He's singing, which, you know, isn't real good manners and table manners. But he's singing, so they got to make noises. And then we hear the babies. He do that yeah, And it just... It's one of the reasons that small birds get out of the nest so early, because those babies are so noisy. So if you're a predator out there saying, man, I am so hungry, I could really go for a baby bird. And then you hear all that, and you say, well, there's some baby birds right there. So they try to get them out of that nest really as quick as possible, because a nest starts out to be this place of safety and security, and then suddenly it becomes this place where it's it's a dangerous place to be in that nest because predators are going to find you. Are they are they safer so, than in these little birdhouses? Because these I'm pretty sure they were built for bluebirds, but so because they're little boxes with a little hole, will they be safer from predators? Yeah, they are. And the big predator there, some areas people have snakes that will get in them. I don't notice that much here. The big predator here would be raccoons if uh, they can get up the pole. Okay. And they are so strong. I have a guy took me out on his trail, and it was uh, around Lanesboro, and a raccoon had just ripped the top off one of those. It's, oh. They're amazing creatures. I, I just tip my hat to them. They drive me crazy sometimes. And I listen to them here in the yard, and oh, the noise they make when the baby <laughs> raccoons are out, you know, I can't describe the noise they make. It's uh, it's a lot of la, 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 and then growl and snarl. and uh, it, It's a big family, and they get along for a little bit, and then not so much. I imagine it was like a family with about six kids throwing them all in the station wagon and saying we're going to drive to San Francisco and away you go and they get along real good for oh five miles maybe and then there's a bunch of growling after that so that's probably how these trips are with raccoons I uh, oh, I don't have a name on this one but it said Al I stopped by a stream in southeastern Minnesota um, I sat and had a sandwich and I heard an odd sound that reminded me of a bad banjo player. What could it have been? I'm guessing it would be a green frog, and it's our second largest frog in Minnesota. Only the bullfrog, the largest frog in North America, is larger. And the green frog, I, I want to, I bet Kermit the frog is a green frog. I don't know that for sure, but I'm just that's what I'm going to go with. The green frog makes a sound like someone plucking a single banjo string. So if you can imagine that, they, that's what they sound like. And I, I have, uh, I've done the same thing this uh, fellow listener does. I've stopped and eaten a sandwich along a stream and, and listened to the plucking of a single banjo string and just been uh, thoroughly entertained by this. I keep wishing maybe they would ex. 
expand their repertoire a little bit and uh, get into some real nice bluegrass stuff, but that's about all they do. Uh, Alice says, Al, do you have a simple tip for using binoculars to watch birds? Oh, man, Alice, you're opening a can of worms <laughs> here, I guess. Um, yeah, a real simple one. Find the bird with your eyes. So you're looking at the bird, then bring the binoculars to your eyes. I know that sounds, but you said simple. So find the bird with your eyes and bring the binoculars, because till you really get used to using the binoculars, and even then, it's hard to find the bird through the binoculars. And uh, so there's a difference in binoculars. Uh, some are better than others. It's like everything else. But think of it this way. Some are a Chevrolet, and others are a Lexus. And they both get you to where you want to go. Uh, one will cost much more. Maybe you get there a little faster or the ride's a little smoother. And you look cooler, which is very important. So binoculars should be easy to use. They should fit your hands. Uh, there are two primary kinds of binoculars. There's poral prism and roof prism. A uh, poral looks sort of like uh, the letter, a capital M to me, M as in mother, and a roof prism resembles a capital H as in Henry. Most of them you see anymore are getting to be uh, roof prisms. They used to, most of them used to be poral prisms. Uh, find one to just fit your hands and fit your eyes, and then it becomes you, and you will enjoy looking at things. Remember that uh, you can set there's a little uh, dial on there that you can set it to your vision. So it's just like setting your eyeglasses. So make sure you do that. Otherwise, it's like you'll be looking through somebody else's glasses, and we've all done that, picked up somebody else's glasses by mistake or just grabbed them and looked through them and say, oh, my gosh, they must be blind. How can they <laughs> see through these? And it's and they would say the same thing about ours. You know, oh, that poor guy, uh, he can't. I bet he drives too fast or too slow down the road because he can't see the speed limit sign. <laughs> so you want them to, to fit your eyes. And I, I hope you will see every, every bird you want to see with those wonderful, wonderful glasses. They so open up a whole new world. Are cheap uh, binoculars okay? I mean, I've got some I think I've got for free, and we were at the air show, and I used them, and they were adequate. I mean... Are you going to really notice a huge difference, so you, you should spend more, or doesn't it really matter in terms of the amount you spend? A lot of the better sun, or better um, binoculars will have better capture of what you're looking at around the outside. So most of them are going to be pretty good in the middle, if that oh, makes any sense. Yeah. But a lot of these other ones will be better around the, the edges, and they will also be better maybe in low light. I was going to say that uh, song, Cheap Sunglasses, maybe they should do one about cheap binoculars, maybe <laughs> yeah. get that band, get them to sing again. So, yeah, there is a difference. Some of them are better made. Some of the more expensive ones, as you might expect, come with more armor, maybe a little more waterproofing, and also a lot of times a better warranty. So if you smash them up good, they're more likely to replace them. So is it worth spending the money? Well, I guess it depends on how much you look at birds and look at things. 
if you're a, a full-time guide or something or this is uh, your major hobby, you don't golf or rodeo like Gully does, <laughs> and this is what you want to do, then maybe you're, you're better off having the really good ones. Plus, as I say, you look really cool. And if you're uh, not so much into that, there's so many binoculars that will, will do you wonderfully well so, without having to break the bank. Well, Gully, again, I, I wish you all the best. Uh, you know, my mom always said, uh, Alan, we were put here on Earth to help others. And I always said, well, what are all the others here for? Seems like I'm getting a raw deal. <laughs> uh, but KMSU has uh, certainly helped so many people through the years in various ways, more ways than I can imagine. And I, I appreciate all your good work there. And I hope you will come to the cafe at a gully where the food chain is missing a few links. The special is always Heimlich Maneuver, and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. My first book signing was many years ago at a huge Barnes & Noble store in the Twin Cities. I sat at a table with three famous authors. They were renowned I was a newspaper columnist. They had written many books each. I had written none, but I'd colored some. I signed books at Barnes & Noble that day. They weren't mine, of course. People asked me to sign the books they had purchased in the store. I hesitated, but yielded to their encouragement and wrote, thanks for buying this book, and signed my name. <laughs> it might have not turned them into rare books, but they certainly became peculiar books. One of the book buyers suggested I write who I was under my signature, so I wrote, not the author. <laughs> so, golly, now you will be able to sign when you do all those autographs. You will just write on there, and you'll be able to write formally with KMSU or the Grand Poobah at KMSU. Remember, folks, heartless while we're driving past. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your exquisite company. I do something wild today, folks. Get out there and look at a bird. So, Al, I want to also mention, if you are in Mankato on Sunday, June 30th, that's this coming June, from 2 to 5 p.m., there's going to be a big gradu uh, graduation, a big retirement party for Gully at the Pub 500 in Mankato. Everyone's invited. Refreshments will, will be served. They'll have uh, appetizers, all sorts of things. And so it's an opportunity to say so long to Gully. That's this Sunday June 30th at the Pub 500. So if you're around, come on over. That's really a cool thing. And do they have one of those uh, bull riding devices in there? Oh, I, I don't know. But, yeah, that might be, we should maybe arrange that so Gully could show off his skills as he rides that would into, be wonderful. to the sunset. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Thanks, Al. It's always great chatting with you. Thank you. Bye -bye. All right, bye-bye. Always great to talk to our good friend Al Bat. And I, I didn't know that secret that Gully's going into uh, rodeo, rodeoing after he retires, according to Al Bat. I wonder if uh, Gully knows that secret about himself yet. We'll have to see. We'll have to ask him. It is uh, 1033, and you are listening to a Minnesota Morning on the Maverick. And it is a special day sponsor from our excellent day sponsor, Steve Ross, who is doing a, a kind of a, a so long Gully show thanking Gully for his years of service to KMSU Radio. It's your day, Gully, and happy trails in your retirement. So playing some songs that might, I don't know, are favorites of Gully or maybe have a message for him. Some of his favorite artists, I don't know if necessarily the song, but one of them uh, that Gully likes.